Jill Bennett on Brooklyn's Radio. Brooklyn's Radio believes your health matters. So last year was challenging for lots of people, many, many relationships. We were forced to spend a lot more time together. And this has brought up a lot of issues for lots of people. There have been many relationships and marriages that have come to an end. So today on Your Health Matters, we're talking about relationships, divorce and starting over. I'd like to introduce to my guests because I'm delighted to have three lovely guests with me today. We have Dr. Mariette Janssen, who is a life coach, a narcissism relationship expert, and author of the best-selling self-help book, From Victim to Victor. Mariette is a columnist in Psychologist magazine, also in Darling magazine, and she's been featured in so many publications like Happy For magazine, The Guardian, Sunday Mirror Magazine and Now Magazine. She also had a big feature in the Daily Mail. She's a stress expert in Sainsbury's Magazine and is a recognized stress advisor to general practitioners. Susie Miller is a divorce strategist. Susie is a public speaker and trainer. She has been featured on Radio 4's Women's Hour, the Daily Mail, and on Channel 5's Vanessa Show, and she's also the creator of the UK's first divorce fairs. Susie's been a TEDx speaker, which I find very exciting. I'd like to do that. She works internationally, helping divorcing families to evolve from being a broken family into more of an extended family by showing them how to avoid costly court battles and how to use peace as their weapon of choice. My third guest today is Sarah Liebelt. Sarah is one half of a duo who hosts The Dating Playbook. This is a podcast that's here to shake up the dating game and shred all the rules. They've created the playbook full of fun, honesty, love, adventure, and a little bit of spice. It aims to give you practical strategies and coaching to empower you to find your ideal partner and most importantly, to fall in love with yourself while you're single and rocking your dating adventure. Mary, who can't be with us today, is a single lady, an entrepreneur, a superstar coach, a big picture thinker, and she loves adventure. And Sarah, who is here with us today, also a single lady, is a core PT, a creator of fun, a lover of love, and a coach who will push you harder and further than you ever thought possible. Good afternoon, ladies. Really, really lovely to have you all here with me today. So let's start by exploring why do so many relationships go wrong? Mariette, what do you think? Relationships. Relationships go well in circumstances and the same relationships don't go well in other circumstances. And you were referring to the lockdown and how that sort of brings to the surface where a relationship doesn't work. In my view of the world, I think the most important thing is that couples share important values, the the values that are important to them. So, for instance, when it's a a couple without kiddies, the whole value of family and doing everything for your family might not come to the surface, you know, as long as they are just a couple. And then children arrives, all of a sudden, the difference between the values between the two partners comes come to the service and say, oops, you are a family person and I am not. So how are we dealing with things? 
if during a lockdown people are all of a sudden spending so much time together 24-7 instead of limited hours of the day and in the hours that they don't spend time together they can do different things they don't have to share everything every time all the time they can get their fix in different places with a lockdown edition so it really is the time and it brings to the surface where the differences are and if those differences are essential then it comes to values that then makes it really really challenging I think you're right, Mariette. And and I think the whole dynamic of a relationship once children come along is incredible. Susie, what do you think? I might sound a bit extreme, but my in my view, I, I, I don't I'm comfortable with the idea that relationships are things that work and don't work. They're not a thing to get right. They're a part of your uh, life, your interactions, interaction, your progress. And for me, and I'm by no means particularly good at this, um, it's about what you can give. So I think we think too much about relationships. What can we take away? What do we get from the other person? What do they give me? And we very rarely go, well, what do I give them? What do I, what am I offering? And in true giving, both of you gain. It is not the same as Mariette knows, uh, you know, to, to give, to keep someone quiet, to allow them to be happy. Uh, that's, you know, that's actually not a healthy way to be. You should give because it's just the most natural and lovely thing to do. And so that's my aspiration, still a long way to go. But for me, relationships about learning how to give unconditionally to each other. And if you get two people who do that, then what, really not much can go wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. Isn't there a lovely book called, is it The Four Languages of Love? Five Languages of Love. Yeah, it's a lovely, lovely book. And it's about that. What is it that makes your partner and you tick? You need to know, because for some people, it can be giving something. For some, it can be, I, I can't remember what the languages are. And I'm sure Sarah will actually, should we bring you in, Sarah? Tell us a bit more about the love languages. Oh, man, I love the five love languages. Uh, was it Gary Chapman, I think, is the author of that. You know, I read that book when I came out of my last relationship about two and a half years ago, and it was like, oh, wow, light bulb moments. Um, so, yeah, there's five love languages. There's gifts. Um, there's quality time. There's acts of service. There is words of affirmation. And what is the other one? Physical touch. Mm. physical touch yeah 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 and we're all different aren't we so we we all need different things but the key thing is knowing what it is with you and what it is with your partner if you really want a relationship to work Marriott, I think you wanted to come in there with something well what I what I love when you know when Susie talks about giving instead of looking at the taking what I love about Scott Peck and the road less traveled he talks about relationships that are really inspiring people to to move on to the next spiritual level. And I love that because that means that a relationship is an environment where you grow and not an environment which holds you back. And I think that is the beauty. It's, you know, it's more than the sum of parts, isn't it? One and one is not just two, but it becomes, I don't know, five or six. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Susie, has it been worse during the last year? You know, has this spending more time together, extra financial pressures that many, many people have had? And of course, women, we've read lots about women taking on the lion's share of homeschooling and this sort of thing. 
do you think this has had such a major impact on on relationships well, my guess is that it certainly had an impact but perhaps one of the one of the most powerful one that the people don't talk about which I'm sure we we may I can't be the only person who at one point early on thought whoa what if I died you know we just suddenly the thought of of death became much more possible when it was all in a massive frenzy in the uh, in the media and I think at times like that people do reassess and think well what am I doing with my life you know what do I want to happen I certainly changed direction um, in some way and started to do things that I'd put off for years so I I think if you're in a relationship that isn't serving you and helping you grow spiritually as Marriott said I couldn't agree with you more it's beautiful that the way she's described relationships there if you're not in that relationship uh, at a time like COVID, you're more likely to think, well, what am I doing? And to make different decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. They, uh, there's some lovely quotes, aren't there? And again, I, the exact quote doesn't come to mind, but about not saving the best china or you get some funny ones, not saving your best underwear for the best, you know, wear it every day because you just don't know how long you really may have left on this on this earth. Um, Sarah, is there anything we could do to choose our partners more wisely? Is there a way we can make it less likely that our relationships will turn sour? Yeah, you know, I love, love this question, Jill. And, you know, this is one of the things that we see all the time. We talk about it in our podcast. We see it all the time in our in our coaching is we're not taught the skill of creating a partnership. And I know we're talking about relationships, but our terminology would be partnership. It's two individual people with their own ways of being, their own opinions, coming together to form something together. And we're not taught that skill. We're taught how to get a job. We're taught how to have a bank account. But we're not taught this really important skill of sharing your life with another human being. And we definitely believe that one of the foundational things that can lead to a more sustainable partnership is shared values. And Marriott has already mentioned this, but you know, shared values, it doesn't have to be um, shared opinions and all the same shared values, but at least enough commonalities that you and that person are going to get along enough. But then also you've got to do things like raise children together, possibly. You're going to buy houses. You're going to go on holiday. You're going to have financial pressures. You're going to have life pressures. You need to be able to be in that with someone who is enough on the same page as you that when things get rocky, as they always do in life, that you guys can still hold on to that partnership rather than, oh, actually, I don't like the way he parents. I don't like the way she's trying to raise our children. And then there's tension about that. If you're already starting at opposite ends of the spectrum, it's going to be really difficult to meet in the middle. Yeah. I would also say, be really clear about who you are and what your boundaries are from the beginning. And if someone isn't a match for you in the beginning, that's cool. But just keep it stepping and go find someone else who really is a, a proper match for you. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good advice. Sir. Good advice. sir. Susie, anything to add? I couldn't agree more with that. I think uh, I think also this is, becomes very pertinent uh, when I'm talking to people who are um, either thinking of getting married and they they don't want to get divorced. But one of the first things I always suggest to anybody who's going to have children is that you are able to have a proper conversation with them, as Sarah says. And what that means in practical terms is a prenup or at the very least a postnup. Or if you're not getting married, for goodness sakes, have a living together agreement, because in the UK, there is no such thing as common law marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, And people say, well, that's so unromantic. And my view is that 
if you're going to spend the rest of your life with someone and have children with them and you can't sit down and have a talk about money, you need to really think about whether this is the right relationship. You know, learn those skills, learn how to have those conversations, because if your relationship evolves into one where you go into separate paths at a later date, the whole process of creating a new extended family will be so much easier if you've been able to have those conversations earlier on. Yeah, yeah. Mariette, do you want to add anything there? Uh, yes, what I, I like the word partnership. You know, relationship could be anything, but a partnership, there is the idea of balance. That's what I pick up on that. I really love that. But what is also very important is that the partnership is with two individuals. And those individuals need to be really clear about their boundaries. So they are not emulgating into one. They are two individuals and that need to be honored as well. And sometimes people find that really difficult and lose themselves in a relationship, which is, you know, which is... A recipe for disaster and unhappiness really so yeah, yeah yeah that's true that's true research shows that around 70 percent of divorces are instigated by women Susie why do you think that is well my theory is is because women are proactive women take responsibility for things women take action and m- very very often and sorry to those guys who don't fit this uh this type but many many times I've spoken to the women where the husband has instigated the divorce and then gone and just done nothing about it put the head in the sand and left this poor woman who's feeling you know who's been rejected told it's all over and yet she's the one who's got to sort out doing the paperwork and the and everything and I think there's just something uh, in our culture perhaps that allows makes women the ones that get things done but it just doesn't mean that they're the ones who necessarily chose for that divorce to happen um, and so yeah so don't read too much into that into that statistic. Oh, okay. That's interesting. That's interesting. Mariette, do you want to add anything in there? I didn't know that, Jill. It's really interesting that it's the women who instigated it. What I do know, though, is that the highest rate of divorces now is instigated by women in their 60s, which is uh, which is sort of, you know, down to the idea of like, hmm, you're going to be 90 or maybe even older do I want to spend another 30 years or 25 years with this gentleman or not? And then it's a not. And then the divorce is being filed. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Sarah. Yeah. Well, they're really uh, both interesting points. And I guess the only, when I thought about this question, I thought, what is the difference between men and women and how do we communicate? And I kind of feel like, you know, when you know women are the ones who grow the child typically they're the more nurturing ones they're the ones who raise a child they take time off work who they were as a woman when they came into that relationship is massively altered especially if you're not mindful and you're and you're not doing things to maintain at least some level of independence and some level of who else am i other than a mother and a wife so I, my, just my uneducated opinion, my opinion is that, you know, women sacrifice a lot and we're not that great at asking for what we need. We're certainly not great at asking a man for what we need in a way that he can understand and give it to us. So I suspect a lot of women get to probably that 60 years, they've had the kids, they've raised the kids, the kids are gone and now they're like, yeah, I don't need to stay around in this anymore. 
because we don't have those skills before we get to that point and then the skills to repair later we're just like nah I'm done I'm resentful I am done I am out that's just my opinion (laughs) Susie I think you wanted to I'm just going to say yes I I think for older women who divorce uh, it takes incredible courage to do that I don't think it's their just absolutely the reasons are they want to be happy so and they're in a situation where they can they they dread the ensuing years and and they don't know how to make that relationship work or to fix it but the, the it takes enormous courage for them to leave because for many if they have lost themselves in that they haven't got their careers anymore they're not financially independent they can find themselves in a very very difficult place um to do that and i think sometimes they don't realize how difficult it is and I'm sure there's many many more who stay in the marriage unhappily um, because they just terrified of of the of actually the process of divorce and not actually having enough to live off potentially afterwards yeah I think you're right I think you're right there it's um I know my children one's finished university and one's still at university but we had them very late but I do remember in our 50s so many of our friends who had their children earlier um, we're breaking up once the youngest one has left university. And it was almost as if I've done my job. I don't want to be with him anymore. I want to start living my life and, and move on. So I think I think you've all come up with some really, really valid reasons there. Mariette, your experience has shown that many people find themselves in a relationship with a narcissist. Why is it that we can so easily fall for someone who's really not very nice underneath it all? Yeah, this brings us to the to what is a narcissist and how does a narcissist present themselves. A narcissist presents themselves to the outside world as a very pleasant, charming, generous, fun person, usually. Because it's important for a narcissist that they make a good impression on other people. What is less important for a narcissist, then, is what the people at home behind a closed door think of him because well that's not totally true but they choose a partner who is easy to control and have a whole range of tools and techniques to find out if the person they have their eye on if that would be the right person if they would allow that control if they would be able to be sucked in by the narcissist so at first when a narcissist meets their they're like predators, yeah. When when they when they look around and when they're hunting and they're thinking, ah, this might be my prey, they present themselves through a mask of very uh, almost extreme pleasantness. Uh, too good to be true. They do the love bombing. They are fabulous, fabulous, fantastic people to be around with for the first few weeks. And then the moment the prey, so the potential candidate for, you know, for the abuse is saying to a friend, like, oh, my goodness, this is too good to be true. This is a red flag. So anyone who's listening now and thinks, oh, I'm in the beginning of a relationship and, oh, I think it's too good to be true. Watch it. I'm not saying it's not good, but the chances that it's not really good are really high. Mm. And and apparently there are two male narcissists to every female one. Yeah. Who knew? It's yeah, it's it's way more um prevalent in men than women. Have have either you, Susie, or you, Sarah, ever had any experience with yeah, Susie? 
Um, I've had lots of experience with, with clients who, because who, obviously divorcing a narcissist is very, very difficult. Certainly plenty of, of, of women narcissists as well. But I think for the, the men, it's often easier for them to control because they've got often money and, um, and they'll use, also use the children. And it's, it's quite horrific as well to see what devastation it can cause. But as Mariette says, the, it takes two in a way, and so that the the person who is the the victim of narcissism does have the possibility with the right help with someone like Mariette to get themselves into a place where that won't work anymore in the same way but you're so vulnerable in divorce but mm-hmm. I do I do find um it, it, it's just recently running a workshop I've never filled a workshop up so far and it was called divorcing a difficult spouse um so it's been a shock to me to realize just how prevalent uh, this is in so many marriages at the moment mm. um mariette from your relationship because i know you've coached lots of people who are living with or in a relationship a partnership with a narcissist how easy do they find it to get out of that relationship once they realize they've made a mistake it's a long process because a victim of narcissistic abuse is being drilled and grilled in the idea that it's their fault. Yeah. So when they come and see me, they first think I need to change. I need to make some change. I don't know what's going on. It's not good, but it's all down to me. So that step one is then to realize that actually it's not down to them. They, they are with an abuser. And that realization is a very painful process because it's like a bereavement. It's saying goodbye to the dream. It's, you know, and what comes in there is a sense of failure and a sense of fear and beating themselves up and saying, how could I be so stupid? How could I fall for that? All part of it. And then it's like in the process, they have lost their sense of self and their confidence. So what a narcissist is doing, they continuously undermine confidence they continuously through gaslighting make people doubt themselves so the clients are workers think in first instance that they are the ones who are at fault they are the ones who are going mad they are the ones who don't know what to do because they have lost themselves so part of the whole process is to support them in building up themselves again so this is all part of getting out of the relationship. And a lot of partners have a huge fear for their partner and for for going it all alone because they don't believe they can do it. Yeah, yeah. And and Susie, I think you said you, you ran that workshop on how to divorce a, a difficult partner. That's fantastic because there'd be so many people who would need that. And And my thoughts would be, that to divorce a narcissist could never be a peaceful one. But I know you feel it can be, don't you? It's interesting you say that because I literally had a, a message through Facebook, uh, I think it was yesterday, by someone who was saying she had a very narcissistic spouse. She had to use Rottweiler lawyers, put up lots of barriers and, and not have any communication and she felt uh, almost challenged by the idea that it could be done any other way. So I uh, responded basically saying that, uh, you know, brilliant that she's managed to find a way through. But if you've got to co-parent for the next 15, 20 years, you can't just put up barriers and hide behind them. You have to learn how to work with that person and how to create boundaries and that actually work. Because a good boundary allows you to communicate. 
It's not yeah. a brick wall. It's uh, but it's something you. It is as Mariette said. It's that learning those new skills of how to be the one that can drive things forward. So I do believe because um, but peace isn't fluffy. Peace takes courage, vision, determination, and 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 when you build, started to rebuild your self confidence and you have a vision of what you want to create, which is uh, capable co-parenting there's so many things that you can do I mean for example with co-parenting most of the people I speak to who are in these really difficult relationships have never used uh, online software in order to allow them to communicate so there's specialist online diaries that are perfect if you've got a very controlling difficult spouse helps you to put in boundaries if they mess about and you do have to go to court you can use the contents as evidence so you're covering a basis on all fronts but I think you know we all know if you've got a very difficult person if you can show them that that way is not going to be nice for them and this way is actually going to be better for them financially and they'll get listened to by the mediator or the collaborative lawyers or whichever system that you use that most narcissists are not stupid so it's about setting it up and giving the peaceful options, the best chance, simply because they're the most sensible. And and even narcissists don't often always want to waste ridiculous amounts of money, not theirs. <laughs> don't mind if it's the other person's. Um, so it's keeping those options open all the way. But it is a very difficult journey. And I don't think it's something you can just kind of read a book and do it on your own. You ne- do need proper support all the way through. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think you're right. Sarah, do you want to add anything on on that topic? Yeah, look, I think I would just kind of say, like, definitely agree with what Susie and Mariette have said around, you know, being in that situation and feeling like it's your fault and then losing confidence and then kind of like, you know, coming out of a situation and being like, oh, I'm never doing that again. And you want to put up those walls. Um, But, you know, I just really want to encourage anyone who's coming out of that situation that that person or, you know, you might have had a few people in your life that have done certain things to you that doesn't mean that everyone you're going to meet in the future is going to be the same so I'm I'm a massive advocate for love a massive advocate for dating um but would it be okay if I just gave like a couple of little tips in like Mm. how to move forward amazing thank you so I would definitely say like one of our big things is dating really um it's your adventure to find out who you are what do I like what do I not like what are my values And it's also a really great space to see how awesome you are. So I came out of a past relationship and my confidence was like low, as low as it's ever been. And I started to date and these men, like they would turn up and they would have sparkles in their eyes looking at me. And I was like, oh, oh, maybe there is something here. And obviously um, you don't want someone else to be validating you all the time. You want it to come from internally, but it's a nice little boost to kind of get you on your way. Mm. I would say, however, if you've been in a situation where there's a narcissist, um, have a lot of support. Get your girlfriends or your cheerleaders, as we call them, on board. Talk to them openly and honestly about what you're dealing with as you meet new people in your life. Be open, but be aware of who you're kind of allowing in your space. Um And I would also just say, just take your time. There is no rush to like lock someone down and have them fully in your life. Just take your time, explore and and, um, do what works for you in a really easygoing, supported, loving kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. Good advice. Mariette, I think you wanted to add something there. Yeah. Sarah, you were talking about, you know, don't put up the walls after a disappointing relationship. And I would totally agree with that. 
but I would say I would say put up walls at the time when you learn new skills and when you start to know yourself and value yourself because I think that is the main thing to be ready for a healthy new relationship and when you value yourself and are honest with yourself then you don't need necessarily need somebody else it's the icing on the cake but if it's really not the icing you can easily do without it and I think uh, I had an article in uh, Psychologies today that was within a week. It had 35,000 reads and it was the signs of a first date with someone who might be a narcissist and it's saying they check you out. So there was this example which was brilliant where the first date, the narcissist, turned out to be the narcissist, was saying was all chatty. They had a glass of wine somewhere. Then they came in the restaurant And uh, the waiter said, oh, here's the wine list. And he will say, no, no, no wine for us. And she was all like, oh, gosh, first date. I'm nervous. I want another glass of wine. What do I do? Oh, well, I go along with him. And that was the start of a seven-year-long painful relationship. At that moment, he was just checking her out if he could control her. And because she was just easily going along with it, instead of saying, oh, oh, waiter, I would like a glass. He might not want, but I would like a glass of wine, and I'm going to order this. Sort of really, bang, I'm standing up for myself. If you can do that, then... You, can, you, you have all this protection already almost in place and you show yourself as a strong individual, which will help sorry, in developing a healthy relationship. 25,000 podcast downloads, 14,000 followers on Twitter, 30,000 visits to our website and the opportunity to reach 185,000 lovely people in Surrey. You're in good company with Brooklyn's Radio. The sound of Surrey and Rushmore. Brooklyn's Radio. All really, really good points, actually. And that, that's fascinating to think of that, Mariette. I don't know how I'd behave if someone said to me on a date, no, we're not having wine. I think I'd be really put out, quite honestly. <laughs> Especially, as you say, on a first date when you're nervous. How can we absolutely make sure that we're ready to date again? I, I mean, I had a, a marriage when I was very young, which didn't work out and have been married to my husband now for more, more years than I care to remember, no, like 25 years. Um, but how can we absolutely make sure that we're ready to date again? Sarah? Yeah, great question. I'm like, oh, can you ever really be sure? And I'm going to say no, no. Um, but what we do say, and obviously, you know, with respect to if we're coming out of a situation where there was a narcissist and there's a lot of trauma, there's a lot of trauma there. Um, what I would say is it's the same with anything in life just do it before you're ready anyways. However, have your support systems in place, i.e. your girlfriends, your friends. And if you have had this sort of narcissistic situation, you know, are you seeing a therapist? Who are your professionals in play that can support you? Because one of the great things about dating is it hits every one of your trigger points. That's why it's so awesome for personal development, but it's also really tricky. So if you are feeling very vulnerable coming out of a situation, then just know that it's going to trigger you. Mm. So have those supports in place, your girlfriends, you know, your, your boyfriends, your family members, and any kind of professionals that you think that you would need. I would say, though, 
some questions to kind of ask yourself would be things like, okay, am I ready to get ghosted again? Am I ready to have difficult conversations? Am I ready to say, no, thanks, I don't want to see you again? Am I ready to say, yes, I'm going to have that glass of wine because I want it, not because you said so? So just check in a little bit with yourself about what am I ready to do and what am I not ready to do? And if there's big ticket items that you're not ready to deal with, then maybe just take it a little bit slower. And then when you are ready to have those conversations or deal with those things, then progress. I think you're right there. I think especially having a professional, you know, it's a really difficult thing to go through a breakup of a, of a relationship of any type. Susie. This might sound obvious, but I think a lot of people miss this bit out. I don't think it's a great idea to start dating again when you're still legally married to another person. So, so many people are out on those dating apps and they're they're still they're not actually divorced yet they haven't sorted out the finances they've got a ton load of baggage and stuff to sort out which you don't per personal experience do not want that so make sure you and the people you date have dealt with all of that and um, because otherwise you're just setting yourself up for being dragged into all kinds of scenarios that really you, you don't want to be part of that's really good advice. And I'll, I'll tell you something now. I'm not sure how many people, very few know about this, but I got divorced when I was very, I got married and divorced when I was very young. And then when I was marrying my now husband, we found out I wasn't actually divorced. I had never applied for the decree absolute. I just assumed that if you had a decree nisi, that it would, then the absolute would automatically be issued. And of course it isn't. So I then had to go to the high court in London and swear because it was two days before I was due to get married again. So a little bit of advice for everyone out there. Mariette, do you want to add anything to that? Are you ready to date? That was the question there. <laughs> and what I, what I say to some of my clients is like, Keep in mind that dating is actually training. You could train your skills. You could train how far you are, how far you have moved on from your, your traumatic relationships and see a date as something that is fun. It's not necessarily your future. Mm -hmm. You know, you need to learn how to be with somebody else and not lose yourself. You have to learn how to... Yes, how to have that lightness and not go straight into deep discussions and, and sort of see where your trigger points are. Because the only way to know is to experience it. You can have your fantasy that you know how far you are, but, you know, life will tell you. And use dating as a training session. I think that's a great idea. Go and have fun. Just experiment. Susie, you wanted to add something there. Yeah, Marriott's absolutely right. And certainly what I did when I started dating again in my later years. So the, what I just want to say is based on what you were just saying about not realising you, you, you got divorced. A lot of people, get, they do get the decree absolute. They're legally divorced and legally allowed to remarry, but they haven't sorted the finances. And they don't realise it's a separate railway track. It's a separate process. And you're still legally financially tied to that other person until you sort out your either financial order or consent order, if ideally you're sorting it yourself. Um, so that's just a point because it's surprising how many people don't realise that. And again, you don't want to be going up the aisle with someone whose ex has a claim on their financial situation. Yeah, and I think a lot of us have seen that, haven't we, where... Um, I know in my younger days, I had lots of single friends who were dating someone who'd been married before. And there was always all sorts of controversy around the financial arrangements with their ex-wife. Yeah, can be can be very painful and, and difficult. Now, 
obviously we the advice we're giving here is great I think that you should be ready and I think getting to know yourself and how amazing you are is key because we don't want to go into another relationship with low self-esteem you need to be in top form but lots and lots of people are going to be very afraid to get onto that dating scene again especially if they've been in an abusive or um, an narcissistic relationship so how what other advice can we give people to help them regain their confidence uh Sarah Right. So, I mean, I I really just want to echo what um, Mariette and Susie said around have fun with it. Like there is 101 ways to date. And one fabulous way is just to be social. Just treat it like it's a fun outing. And, you know, you could go on a date three times in a day. I certainly have before. You could go seven days a week all with different people. Just because, oh, I want to check out that new bar or I want to go to that restaurant or I would I fancy a nice little picnic in the park. Just take away that pressure and know that, you know, there's no right or wrong way to do it. There's no there's no way to get to as such. That person may or may not be someone that you want to spend time with um, in an ongoing way. But just have a good time for why you're there then. And then if you want to choose, you know what, I do want to see that person again. And then if you want to make another choice, I want to see that person again, you can carry on doing that. But it doesn't have to be this long projected 60 year relationship based on, you know, that kind of first date or the first couple of dates. I just say, just turn up, have a great time, be present. And then you can either choose to see them again or not. Good advice. Good advice. Mariette, anything to add? I would say, I would say it's really important to be grounded in yourself if you are best friends, BFF, with yourself, then no one can destroy that friendship, that connection, not even your date. And if you, if you are that solid, you can't be hurt in the same way you have been hurt in the past. Yeah. Susie? I would just say to anyone who has that fear, because after 10 years, three very small children, I'd completely lost myself. I suddenly found myself uh, single pretty much overnight. Um, I was petrified. Of, you know, just even walking into a pub on my own was scary at that time. And, uh, but what I soon discovered was that once I get started, it's like riding a bicycle. I suddenly found myself aged 40. At, at that point, I thought that was like too old. Which of course, now I, now I know that's not. But uh, like snogging, snogging someone in a bus stop thinking, Am I 16? And I, I did what I, I'd never done that at 16. So it, it was a real wake up to actually this could just be fun. And and uh, yeah, and it doesn't have to be scary. And it's really not rocket science. Yeah, good, good advice from all of you there. And I think it is that I know when when my first marriage broke up, um, getting out there and and as you say, walking into a bar alone, we didn't do that in those days. I mean, I'm obviously... The, I think the oldest person here, but we just didn't do that sort of thing. And there were no dating apps. Well, there were no mobile phones, you know, so it was a lot harder. You did actually have to physically go out and meet people out and about. I think possibly it's a bit easier now, although you obviously there's a safety angle. If you're meeting people online, you need to be really careful. I mean, Sarah, give us some advice on this. If someone's meeting someone online, they should be taking extra precautions, shouldn't they, before meeting up with them? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think, you know, things like meeting someone in public for the first time, um, you know, have a video chat with them before. I don't meet anyone now that I'm not already having a video chat with. Um, 
<laughs> sometimes I've done things like sent my live location to my best friend, not necessarily because I was worried, but it was just an extra layer that made me feel more comfortable, especially in the early days of dating when I hadn't really done it before. Yeah. And then I would say to my girlfriend, just so you know, this is where I'll be. Just keep an eye on me. And then I knew that someone kind of had me. Um, and I think, you know, definitely don't, don't be pressured into meeting before you're ready. Um, you know, you won't get the measure of someone until you actually meet them. But if you're, if your intuition is saying, Oh, I'm not sure, then listen to that, have more conversations or just shut it down and move on. Mm. Um, but safety is always paramount, especially for us as women. No, I think you're right. My, my sister, funnily enough, did a lot of internet dating in between her two marriages. And ha- thankfully, she's happily married again now. But she had some hilarious t- occasions, you know, meeting someone she'd only spoken to on the phone, only to find that most of his teeth were missing when she met up with him. <laughs> Just awful, awful. Th- she wrote a book, actually, <laughs> called Fishing the Net, because she had so many really, really funny um, things that happened to her when she was dating. But she did always take you know, good precautions. Uh, Okay, ladies, well, we are slowly coming to a close. But before we go, I'd love to give you all an opportunity to just say a little bit more about yourself, how people can get in contact with you, um, how, you know, you can give whatever details you want to allow people to find out more about you, to maybe chat to you about working with you or to listen to your podcast. So shall we start? Um, Sarah, you start. Awesome. Thank you, Jill. Thank you. Um, Yeah. So I guess just like a little bit about me is I am all about just creating the epic adventure in dating, the epic adventure in life that you really want to. And sometimes there's lots of social conditioning. There's always social conditioning at play. There's things that we haven't been taught. There's things that we don't know about ourselves. And really our job is to support people in that discovery so that they can create their partnership, the dating adventure, the life that they really, that they authentically want, not because they've been conditioned to believe that they, they want a certain lifestyle. Um, And, you know, one thing that I think is really important to say is, you know, we kind of like think that a failed relationship failed, um, a relationship that ended, you know, or we ended up in divorce is a failure. And I even accidentally just used that term, like a failed relationship. You know, like one of the things that we really support people with is stepping away from that. Just because something ended, it was not a failure. You had an experience and now that's done and you can move on and have a different experience. And we're all about empowering people to do that. So you can find us um, on Apple uh, Podcasts or Spotify. The Dating Playbook Podcast is our podcast. Or you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at The Dating Playbook. Or you can email us for any sort of like coaching or any questions or, you know, just a bit of banter if you like at hello at thedatingplaybook.co.uk. Fantastic. Thank you. Mariette. I am here in this world, I think, to educate people on narcissism and to support victims of narcissistic abuse. So my coaching and psychotherapy practice has moved very much into that direction. You can read about that in, uh, on my website, which is drdistress.co.uk. If you're on that website, you can also book a free coaching call if you think you are, you are, how do you say, you are a victim of narcissistic abuse or you're not quite sure what's going on, book that call and I can talk you through and help you forward on that. I also have an ebook on narcissism. There's a little 
quiz. And of course, there's my best-selling and award-winning book, From Victim to Victor. It's available in Kindle, Amazon, um, audiobook, and paperback. So you can easily get it there. And I think I'll leave it like that. But if you, if you struggle, don't struggle alone. Please get in touch. I grew up as a narcissistic mother and I had several relationships as a narcissist. So I know how you feel and I'm here to support you. Fantastic. Thank you, Susie. As a divorce strategist, I'm, my mission really is to help people navigate divorce in more peaceful and sensible ways, but also to transform their family so they never never have a broken family they have an extended family i have one simple place people can go uh, they can download my free best way to divorce app which is the gateway to a whole range of resources events online courses workshops and um that and and also support groups and that's at best way to divorce dot online so really simple so if you go to best way to divorce dot online um, anyone you know who needs help in that area they can download the free app and find the best level of support that suits them and their fantastic family. fantastic ladies thank you so much i uh, really think that we've given some great advice for people here today brooklyn's radio believes your health matters 